The 111th Tennessee General Assembly reconvened on Tuesday, January 14th at noon. I cannot think of a better way to discuss this year's legislative session than to visit with my guest, Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton. Good morning, Speaker Sexton. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I know your time spreads uh, so thin, and you've got so much going on with meetings. We're all delighted to have you here at Stonecom. Um, you're the 83rd Speaker of the Tennessee of House Representatives. And I want to get into that whole process later about how you came to even be considered and, and what your uh, thought process was. But I want to kind of get right into it, if you okay. don't care. And I, I want to know how these first couple of weeks have been for you as Speaker of the House. I know it's a different transition, but how's it gone these first couple of weeks? It's gone well. I mean, the nice thing is, is we transitioned in it. So we were speaking for about four months, which gave us time to really um, learn and build and, and develop. These last uh, couple of weeks that we've been in session um, have been good. You know, the first couple of weeks is it's not moving as fast as it normally does, and so it's allowed us to really work with our chairman and work with members and work with the administration really on where we want to go. So everything's been running pretty smooth right now. Okay, I, I figured it'll pick up though. Obviously, uh, it, next two it will. Weeks. It will here here in about uh, I would say seven ten days. Okay. And I've been in the legislature through my job at, at CTAS, and I know you're familiar with us, and you and I have actually sit in on a couple of meetings in Cumberland County. I think the last one was maybe a budget committee meeting. I'm not sure now what that was. You and I got to sit beside each other and, and talk a little bit about the process, and I appreciated your help and your insight. Uh, but I've been able to visit the legislature when they were having sessions in my 14 and a half years at CTAS. In my opinion, it's always beneficial to attend those committee meetings. It's always good to get on the floor and see how that process works. And, of course, you've been doing this for years. But as somebody like me and maybe a, just a citizen, going to the committee meetings is kind of where the rubber meets the road. I mean, that's where the business is. Um, and I think a person can really learn a lot about the legislative process when it comes to filing bills. The committee process uh, – how is that for you as as now speaker? Are you more involved with committees or are you less involved? Well, I mean, I think part of it is the speaker appoints the chairman of every committee and subcommittee. And so you, you appoint who has the passion and the skill set and the drive to be the chairman for that committee. So as speaker, if, if I'm doing my job well, then I put people in the right spots as chairman to do the job. And so hopefully I can be hands off. My, my main goal right now has been working with the chairman to get them to empower them to where we're no longer just um, gaveling a bill in or gaveling a bill down or just meeting for four months. I want them really to take ownership of, of issues in their realm and really tell us where we need to go in the state over the next several years. Okay. So before you were elected speaker, like let's just go back to last year's session. What was a typical week like for you? Because, I mean, you're, you're state representative, and, and I know you've been chair of committees and been heavily involved, but what was that like? Yeah, so, I mean, the first day you get there, say, when I was elected the first time in 2011, it's a little slow. You don't have as many meetings. You, you're you on your committees. You're still trying to learn. Every year you're there, you're more and more busy throughout session and after session. Um, the transition from last year, I was caucus chairman, so I had a different role. Um, it was busy. Um, I had meetings. I had such, but I still had time to sit down and, and really look through things and, and, and have some openings in the schedule. The first couple of weeks, there's really not any openings, and and what I found out is you have more meetings with the administration, you're off-site more, speaking to groups, hosting groups, trying to work with your members and chairman, and really trying to fit in a, a, a probably about double, I would say, the amount of scheduling requests, and 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 so that's it's it's been a learning experience for us. Now that you are speaker, and like you said, you appoint the chairmen of the committees. Obviously, I'm I'm assuming you're looking for people with experience in that 
that kind of committee where it's uh, fiscal related or health related or corrections related. You're looking for people maybe have experience in that. Uh, are you kind of now an ad hoc member of any of the committees? Or you, like you said, you just appoint them and you step back? Well, so the Speaker Pro Tem and I, uh, who's Bill Dunn, we can go into any committee we want to at any time and vote if we so choose. So we have that capability. Now, we don't sit on the committees from day to day. Um, he does, but I don't. And and so, you know, like up here with Ryan Williams, he's the insurance sub chairman because um, he, he's been on the health care um, committee for about 10 years now. Sure. And huge benefit to us in that role. So, you know, the speaker doesn't really serve on the committees, but we can go in if we need to. Okay. I'm, I'm infatuated with the General Assembly, and I, that's probably nerdy for people to hear that. And I know you, you and I are probably similar in that area. I love local government. I love state government. Um, and I actually stayed away from the news the last couple of weeks because I wanted you and I to talk about some things going on. I didn't want to, I wanted to be genuine about my questions. So I hadn't really paid attention to what maybe y'all been discussing, but I'm infatuated with it. I love being there. Um, now that you're speaker and I, again, we're going to talk about that process later on. What is your week like now? I mean, you, you've appointed committees, obviously all the committees have been appointed the chairs, right? Chairs been Pointed and all the members. Have been. So, what's your typical week like? I mean, they start well. They start now on Monday afternoon. Yeah, right. well, I mean, we go in session Monday at five, but um, you know, we're still early enough. You know, I I, I try to take my daughter to school on Monday morning sure. and then uh, leave. So, I, I I try to get into Nashville about ten thirty, okay. ten a.m. And then it's 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 meetings after meetings and uh, meeting with uh, bill review for me or or meeting with legal and research other members. I mean, basically, my whole week is 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 meetings right. and and really uh, trying to take time out to to work with members as well and 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 have the mindset of um, I need to get out of my office. You know, it's real easy for me to just stay in the office and be in meetings all day, but at the end of the day, I really need to be out of the office, into the halls, going into the members' offices and and working with them, letting them know that I, I am out front and available if need be. Do you like the change of scenery, the Accordo Hold on? Do you like the whole setup? I, I've been there twice, and I love everything y'all have done with it, but you like it better? Well, I mean, it has its benefits, right? I mean, it's a nicer, newer – oh, I won't say newer – newer renovated <laughs> right. building. It's still built way back when. Um, and, and the layout's good. The committee rooms are a whole lot better than they used to be. What I, what I miss from the old memorial building is you could go down into the committee rooms where it's one long hallway for the House and Senate – um, and all the you had offices around it, and so you could see everybody walking by in a period of an hour. Okay. So the 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 ability to see people um, was very good. Whereas in the na- this new building, we're spread out on four or five floors, so it's really hard um, to get around and see people. You can't just go stand in front of the committee rooms. So. Sure, sure. You're listening to News Talk ninety four point one FM. This has been Rogers, your host. My guest is the uh, Speaker of House of the Tennessee General Assembly, uh, Cameron Sexton. We got a few minutes left in this segment, uh, Cameron, and just want to talk about how the the process has been. Of course, uh, Friday, August twenty third, two thousand nineteen, was when you were officially elected eighty third Speaker of the House. And I want to know about that process for you as a person, for your family. I mean, you, you have a family, uh, you have a career. Uh, you're not a full time legislator. No one is. I mean, uh, now that you're a speaker, it probably feels that way. <laughs> it probably has felt <laughs> that way be. since August. But uh, you have a career. Talk about that a little bit. But on August 23rd, 2019, what, what was that day like for you and your family? I mean, it was a big day. You know, we had the caucus election back in July um, where there was uh, a handful of us running and, and I made it through the process. And August 23rd was the official day where both bodies. Um, 
and it was a good day. It was a big day. Um, you do feel the weight of the office um, when you when you're elected. Sure. I mean, you do feel the responsibility. Um, so it was a great honor, but you also understand that it, it's a, a lot of work and a lot of responsibility and that the members trusted you enough to do the job. You were elected in 2011. Correct. And so you've been in eight years now mm-hmm. and you've had to run, I guess that's four times, I guess. Four. Now. And uh, have you had an opponent every time? Um, always had somebody in the general election. Okay. Okay. So, and I want to ask you, are you the first from, from Cumberland County? You're from Cumberland County. I want to talk a little bit about that history as well, but are you the first to be elected Speaker of the House? Yes, and a and, and little bit bigger area than that, probably in the in this area. Really? I'm um, the first as well. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. I think it's – I know you're very humble, and you're not going to boast and say, I'm proud, you know, I'm awesome, I'm great. You should be proud. I think it's a big deal for you in, in Cumberland County. And of course, I work with Cumberland County officials on a daily basis. Mayor Foster and I talk quite a bit, and um, – Scott Blaylock, the highway superintendent, and always talking to them, and Nathan, of course, the, the finance director. So I'm up there some, was up there a couple of weeks ago. Um, are, are you born and raised in Cumberland County? Because I honestly don't know that question. No, I mean, I've only lived there about 20 years, so I'm, okay. I'm trying to get to local status, I guess. Okay. You know? right. um, I, w- I was born in, in Lake City, which is Rocky Top, Tennessee. Sure, sure. But uh, I grew up in, in uh, West Knoxville. And you went to the UT, right? I did. Graduated University of Tennessee. And so you were living up there. Because I was going to ask you, if you were from Cumberland County, what made you pick UT over Tech? But now I know the answer. You didn't live in Crossville, <laughs> so people don't jump on him. Of course, I work for UT, and I'm a big supporter. And, um, and Well, you know, I mean, when, when I was in high school, I, I ended up going to Oak Ridge. And in Oak Ridge, there was uh, a couple of tracks. There was, you had the individuals who were going to go do engineering. And they either went to Tennessee Tech or Virginia Tech back in that day. I wasn't going into engineering, although I did love math. I went a different direction, so I ended up going to University of Tennessee. What did you major in at UT? Um, political science with okay. a, with a kind of a concentration in public administration before it became a thing. I love political science at Tech. They didn't have a huge program. They had one, um, but I learned a lot, and I think – the process of going through those classes and of course you i don't know if how much you actually knew my uncle you started in the legislature after he passed away but my uncle bill rogers was commissioner here for years <laughs> i know you've heard stories but talking really talking to him uh, all my life and then going through tech and political science it really intrigued me but i never thought i was smart enough to make any money at it so i went the county route <laughs> and i thought maybe i can make some money there and support a family but i love political science when we come back next segment i want to talk a little bit more about your your history growing up and and um, how you got to the decision to run for actually uh, state representative in Cumberland County. And we'll talk more about what's going on and what you foresee in session uh, and uh, some other things that people want to know. You're listening to News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. This is Ben Rogers, and we will be right back with my guest, Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton. Welcome back to News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. This is Ben Rogers, and this is Trending. And my guest today is the Speaker of the House of the Tennessee General Assembly, the 111th General Assembly, Cameron Sexton. This is your first year at it, and again, Cameron, I want to get back into that. But to get to know you a little bit better, uh, in my audience, I love to inform them on on the public service side of my guests and also their personal side. Uh, you grew up in Rocky Top, Lake City, mm-hmm. in East Tennessee, and you said you went to Oak Ridge and then went to the University of Tennessee and majored in political science. When you graduated UT, what did you want to do? Well, that's a good question because, you know, you're always trying to figure out political science. There really wasn't um, – it's not really a job major, I guess, back in that day. And and so really what I ended up doing was uh, my dad was uh, into sales, and he knew Randy McNally, who okay. was state senator back then. And he was on a campaign. And so uh, my dad 
lined me up to work for him. It was just me and Randy. And so that's how I got my start in the campaigning and wow. spent uh, a good three months, four months with him, just traveling all over the place of his district at the time and going to high school football games, passing out cards, learned a lot from him. And, um, and then today he's a lieutenant governor. So it's interesting when you look back, I think that was in 1994. And, and when you look to today, being able to serve with him in this capacity is an honor. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. You're Speaker of the House. He's lieutenant governor, which is the Speaker of the Senate. Um, and that you started with him. I That's say I'm uh, another reason I love doing this. This show is I learn things about people. When did you decide to move to Crossville? Um, so I was, I, I lived in Memphis. I lived in Knoxville. Um, then when I, I fell in love with campaigns, um, with Randy and, but he was a good person. I mean, he, he really is. And so I, I started doing some other campaigns on the side and, and, and went through some different jobs and, and sales. And then I landed with Congressman Van Hillary. I met him on the campaign trail and he was looking for, um, someone to work in his Crossville office. Okay. And so um, he and I sat down and had some conversations, and that's how I got to Crossville. It's a beautiful place. It is. You don't want to leave. I, I love Crossville. I love visiting. It's just a beautiful area of the mountains. Um, I'm glad you personally glad you moved. That way you're close and you can represent. You actually represent an east uh, east part of Putnam County. I do. Uh, Monterey. Monterey. So you are connected to Putnam County. And then uh, all of Cumberland County. And, and Van Buren. Van Buren. And, and people I probably are asking, how did that layout work? But that's reapportionment. Uh, of course, that's coming up next year. It is. It's coming up here in a little bit. Uh, uh, run, it'll be a 2022 election cycle when it takes effect. Um, so... Let's get back to kind of your duties. Well, uh, before we do that, your family. Mm-hmm. I know you got a family. I know you. I'm sure you're proud of them. Tell me about your family, right quick, because people want to know about your family and who you are. Yeah. So you know, my parents and brothers still live in Knoxville, um, where they've been since the '70s, and uh, I live in Crossville with with my wife and my sons at UT uh, okay. this time. And then my daughter's still a senior in high school, and then we have a five and a half year old. Nice, nice. So. I, I'm curious to know because I honestly don't know this. I've never really asked because I, I haven't really been uh, had an opportunity to have a relationship with a speaker before. But when you started, the the House members know kind of your legislative priorities, and I hate to say legislative agenda. People take the word agenda and put it in a negative frame of mind, and really the agenda is the agenda. It's part of government. It's part of the legislative body process. You have an agenda to go by. But the other House members know kind of where you stand on things. Well, I mean, they do, but I mean, we have conversations all the time. And, and sometimes what I have learned in this role and in various roles, especially when I was health chairman, um, a lot of times if I give my opinion too quickly, then that scuttles debate and questions in a conversation and discussion. So a lot of times I try to continue the discussion so that other people can voice um, what, what they want to voice. Because it, once I speak, it kind of calms the room and it's over. And I, I and, and that's one aspect I don't like. I, I I like to be able to have that conversation for a while. So that that's one thing I've learned as, as I've been going through this for the last few months. And you're actually, uh, of course, you've been in eight years. Is and of course, it's hard to say with the history of the Tennessee Speaker of the House because Nafee Speaker Nafee was there for years, a long time. And then uh, Williams. I believe, uh, yeah, and then, of course, term. Speaker Harwell. For about a decade. And then now you're here. Okay. That's That's been it. So it's kind of hard to ask what typically the history is, but you've only been in eight years. Is it is it normal for somebody that's been in eight years to become Speaker? Kind of, To me, that's kind of quick. I mean, you've progressed, and that speaks a lot about you and what you've done because I know you've served on House Republican Caucus as House Republican Caucus Chairman. Uh, you've been on – you've chaired House Health Committee, Three-Star Healthy Ta- Task Force, which I think – 
Speaker Harwell appointed mm-hmm. you to. Mm-hmm. Is that normal for somebody that's only been in eight years? To well, I would say historically probably not. But what I will say is um, we've had a lot of turnover as well. So there's been a lot of people who've been there for a long time who decided not to run. And and so as you're moving through that process, um, there's less and less who have been there for over 15 years. Um, you know, what I will say is this is the first time that the Republican leadership team um, that no one has served in the minority. And so that tells you how new everyone is. Okay. Can you remind me uh, when Speaker Williams became Speaker? That was a weird process, wasn't it? It was. It was. It <laughs> There's was. 99 House members. There was 99, 50 Republicans, 49 Democrats. And, so and he was the last one on the board. 49 Democrats voted for him. 49 Republicans voted for Jason Mumpower, and the last vote was him voting for himself. I, I thought that was right, and and I don't know if that's ever happened in Tennessee, but that was an interesting dynamic how that played out. I don't. Did you expect that? Did no, you? I don't think anybody expected it. Um, you know, I think they started getting a little worried when they were on the House floor and all the Democrats started voting for him. I think that was the telltale sign, and I wasn't there that day. That was a little bit before, two years before I got there. Um, but you can go back and watch the YouTube videos, and um, almost immediately after that was when the Republican Party expelled him out of the party. <laughs> okay, that's what I was, that was the and then we thing. And then we passed the bylaws after that point, which basically said you had to support your caucus's nominee. Yeah, I was getting to that. I'm glad you addressed that already, but I, I couldn't remember when that was. I thought that might have been 2011, but you said it was 2009. Yeah, so. it been 2009. Um, okay, I just wanted to bring up that little bit of history about the Speaker uh, uh, for, the, for the House in Tennessee. You've obviously been involved with uh, the health and, and the well-being of citizens in Tennessee, and, and you've made that part a very part and part of your tenure in the House. And as I said, chaired the House Health Committee. Uh, obviously, Speaker Harwell believed enough in you to put you on a three-star healthy task force. What made you as an individual, as a public servant, decide to kind of focus on the, the health and the well-being of citizens? Well, you know, when I came in the office, I'd been working in the healthcare industry, whether it's, um, you know, hospice, home health, pharmaceutical. I worked in a hospital um, when I was in University of Tennessee. And so I had a health background, sold insurance as well. And, and so she put me on the, the health committee. Um, and then, you know, just that experience and, and being on that committee so long, you, you start learning. And that's that's really where um, you want to keep people with the knowledge base because there's a lot of historical things that we've gone through in the past that you don't want to have to go through again. So having those people on those committees long term really do benefit. And to me, I appreciate it as a citizen in Tennessee that our health is and well-being is being focused on. And um, and that's been a priority of yours. You know, It is. I mean, I think, you know, what we've really been focusing on in, in the last about four or six years is affordable health care that's accessible and that's also transparent. And really trying to change the laws like certificate of need where government can tell a, a business person they can or can't go into a community to offer services that may or may not be offered or may the services being offered may not be up to the quality that needs to be. And so really trying to reform some of that process to, to allow the business market to be competitive and more of a freer market is one of the things that we've really been pushing. I want to get back to the caucus back in, you said June or July of last year. July. Did did you have several counterparts say, Cameron, you need to to pursue this. You you need th- we need you. You we. Ne- how did that How did that go? I mean, did you wake up one morning and say, Hey, I want to be the next speaker of the <laughs> no, house? No. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, a lot of times it's about timing, and you know, the timing wasn't right the year before to run for speaker, and, and so I ran for caucus chair, and I thought I could play a, a, a pivotal role uh, there. Um, and so when the opportunity came. You know, there was a few members. Um, there's not really many members going to go start trying to recruit people to run for speaker. And 
And so there's a, you know, a handful of people who ran and, and uh, we campaigned for a few months and ran up and down the interstates of this great state of ours a lot. Um, and then through the process of elimination, you know, you start with, say, six and you go to five to four to three to two. To, finally, there was one. And um, I was very fortunate enough to um, to be the one. So now that you're speaker, um, of course, I don't I should know this. I'm going to ask. I do not know. Are you allowed to file bills as Speaker of the House? I can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And usually I, I probably won't run them. I'll have other members run those bills for me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get to file 15 bills like everybody else. Okay. I didn't know if that changed or not. So I ask questions I don't know because <laughs> I know if I'm asking, maybe somebody else doesn't know. And speaking of filing bills, when does that process start with the legislators? Um. It, you could well since we're in the second half of the first session, it, it's year round. So you could you could have them legal working on bills during the summer and continuing to file them. Uh, you have to have everything submitted by February fifth is when the bill filing deadline is. So the second half is a little different than the first. In the first half, after you're elected in November, and we go in in January. Um, you have a shorter time period. Speaking of that, you, and you're right. This is the second half of the uh, 111th General Assembly. So two sessions makes up one assembly, Correct. basically. Correct. I was actually in some training last week in Nashville for with the Government Finance Officer Association. There were some people there from Texas. They meet every other year. Their General right. Assembly meets every other year. And I asked one of the members there, I'm like, how does how do they get anything? How long do they meet? She said they usually start like in March – uh, and try to conclude by September, and uh, I said, "How do they get anything done?" She says, "They pack it all in in one 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 session, one few months." And I thought, "I don't think Tennessee would ever consider that." Well, but. no, I mean, it, you have to pass a two year budget. That's the sticking point, right? And so, really, um, you know, that that budget has to be very good. And they might go back into special session some. Um, you know, we probably end up meeting three and a half months over uh, each year. So the the six months to six months, is, we're close. We probably go about seven total. True. So we're pretty close to doing what they do. We just spread it out over two years instead of one. Good information to know. Uh, Tennessee is not like every other state uh, in the union, so it's good information. When we return, we'll continue to visit with Speaker Sexton of the Tennessee General Assembly. On Trending, this has been Rogers on News Talk 94.1 FM. Welcome back to Trending on News Talk 94.1 FM. This has been Rogers, your host. And my guest today is Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton of uh, the Tennessee General Assembly, the 111th that reconvened uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Cameron, we're talking, uh, we've talked about your experience as Speaker, and, and it's changed a little bit from where you were just a member of the House. And of course, you were caucus chairman. And, and before I get into anything else, was that a lot of work as well, being caucus chairman? I didn't think to ask you. There's a lot because you're, you're in charge of your entire caucus, making sure um, that you're promoting them, that we're moving in the right direction and giving them the right information and raising money when you're out of session. So, yeah, it was, it was a busy role. Because typically, y'all want to be kind of on the same page. You tried to as much as you can, yes. Okay. We'll talk a little bit about later on about some hot topics going on with the state, uh, if you want to later on. But I do want to talk about your public service experience. And you mentioned working with Van Hillary. Was that your first time kind of being uh, in public service? It was the first time I, I worked on many campaigns. It was the first time I ever worked um, for someone who was elected um, in their office, which was um, interesting. I was in charge of doing special projects. I worked in education and law enforcement and uh, fire services was, was what I did with him. And, um, and then after that, you know, I ran for uh, Crossville city mayor before I ran for state rep, I lost that race by 64 votes or something of that nature. 
uh, when when you look back, it's probably the best thing. But thirty three people, if they change their votes, I would have won. Right? That's how that's right. how small the margins that's get. Right. But you know, but whenever you try to do something in, in, in public office or anything in life, um, if you don't take chances and, and try to do something different and move the hurdles and and be okay with not winning. Um, then you're never going to try to challenge the status quo. Is that what kind of made you want to pursue a uh, state representative? It did. I mean, on that one, I did have people come uh, to me and ask me to run. There were some issues that were going on, and um, they didn't feel like the, the locals and the business community and elected officials didn't feel like their voices were being heard. And so um, I stepped up to play and ran, had a lot of support, and we ended up winning that. And that's when you go back and if you look at most of the stuff, what I've said here since being speaker is, I want everybody's voices to be heard because each state representative represents 65,000 people in their district, and they have a right to be heard, um, whether they're Republican or Democrat. You might not agree with them, but their people put them in that place for something, um, and, and they need to do the job that they're elected to do. 65,000? That's how much, on average, we represent. So I'm a, you know I'm a county commissioner here. Um, and I'm now I'm overwhelmed because I feel like sometimes I don't represent my people as as well as I should, or I don't hear from everybody. And I think I'm probably around fifteen hundred to two thousand people in our district. So sixty five thousand. It's harder for you to campaign on that because <laughs> you're you're dicing streets. Oh wow, um, sixty five. Wow. So and we talked a little bit about reapportionment. Do you foresee lines changing uh, the next time? The there will lines? be. I mean, I think when you look at the the population in the state of Tennessee, I think the last thing I saw was two thousand seventeen. Um, the West Tennessee um, population has decreased from Jackson West, so there's possibility a couple seats could be lost in West. And east of Knoxville, up into northeast Tennessee, their population has decreased, so you can see that. So you can see more seats moving to the middle Tennessee area. I would say Putnam and Cumberland in this area has seen enough growth um, to where nobody's losing the seat, but the district will change because you're going to have to move things back to middle Tennessee. So far west Tennessee and far east Tennessee are populations decreasing and, and decreasing. middle and i know uh, putnam county is growing and i know cumberland county is growing they too are. there's so much going so much good going on in cumberland county uh right now but we're growing so this population is kind of moving towards the middle of the state it is i mean really i mean it, and, and the thing is is the collar counties around davison are growing more than davison too rutherford county is one of the fastest growing counties and and when the, the, the interesting thing is when i travel the state and i've talked to rutherford county government school board too much growth is also not beneficial to them, right? right? People talk about not having growth. And then there's a part where if you're growing too fast, you can't keep up with the infrastructure that's needed. So it's a it's a unique um, experience here in Tennessee is watching those communities, how they handle those adversities. So are you getting more phone calls now that you're speaker before, than before you just uh, just a member of the House and caucus chairman? Are you getting more now or – yeah, I mean, I get quite a bit. I mean, there's a lot. You know, I've had to learn. Um, I used to do my own scheduling. Um, now I've had to uh, pass that off. I have someone in my office who handles that. And, and so um, all the requests go there, and then we filter filter out on, on what we can do or can't do or how we can do it. So it's been, a, it's been a changing process for me personally on how I've had to evolve as an elected official to handle the influx of information. The majority of your phone calls, education-related? Uh, roads related is it is it is it spread out equally yeah well you know one thing i will say is is in the rural areas their representative is their lifeline Mm -hmm. right that's who they know because we run every two years um so we get a lot of calls where we filter off to congressman rose's office or local elected officials so we're kind of like the linchpin of sending out information um whereas if you get into the bigger metropolitan areas um their representatives aren't as well known because they they blend in 
Um, and so it's a it's a very different dynamic being a rural legislator versus being an urban legislator. So um, you're giving great information. I love it. Uh, I'm so excited about this show. Your public service experience, as you said, you ran for city mayor in Crossville, uh, was not successful, decided to get into state representative. Did you beat an incumbent when you ran? I did, in the primary. In the primary. So once, and of course, that was a Republican primary. Correct. And nobody ran in the general? No, I had somebody in the general because the the Democrats were trying to line up to win, too. And and so, um, you know, we won the primary by a pretty decisive vote vote and did the same thing in the general election and every year since we've continued to increase our our margins so you're obviously doing a good job um now that you've been in eight years you're you're i would say you're seasoned um and you're speaker now do you see yourself trying to run a few more times and 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 sitting and trying to i know the state uh, state's doing so well and the state's been we want i want to talk about the economy a little bit later state's doing so well has been for the next few years and i guess i'm putting you on the spot but uh, you see you trying to do this for for a little while yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. You never know what tomorrow brings. All you can try to do is live today and make tomorrow better for the next generation. Uh, that sounds like a political answer, but it's no, true. Um, and, and so the one thing I have learned in, in politics is timing's about everything. And, and there's been great candidates who've done different things at the wrong time and weren't successful. So you just wait each and every opportunity and, and wait to see what happens down the road. You know, I can't predict what happens. You know, I feel very comfortable where I'm at right now. And and doing the job that I hope that the members are asking me to do. Let's talk about the economy right quick. Of course, in 2008, we all know, 8 and 9, it just fell out. Recession started. The state was struggling. That was, of course, before you got in. And really, it started bouncing back around 2010. You get elected in 2011. Uh, governor Haslam's in place, and he's he's governor. And uh, things start looking up. The state is really proud about the AAA bond rating. And, and you know, you hear uh, the state and members of the legislature and the, and the governor talk about not borrowing money for capital projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, paying cash for it, which I think's wonderful. I wish counties can do that, and obviously you know counties can't do that. There's only like three counties in the state that are debt-free, and honestly they're debt-free because they're not progressive. You know, they don't spend any money. They got 40-year-old schools, a 50-year-old jail, and it's just everything's bad, and they don't want to raise taxes. And anyway, that's another topic. The state's doing well. Um, in your opinion, I mean, you're obviously an uh, intelligent person. Do you see the, the economy being – as, as good for the next couple of years and, and the state being able to do the projects they've been doing, especially the interstates and the state highways. I mean, what, how, what's your thoughts on the economy right now? The news I'm getting, we're still, we're still very confident in our economy. The one thing I would caution is um, people um, talking about heading into a recession because you can talk yourself into a recession if you're not careful. So you got to be very careful. Um, you know, what we have had is 40 consecutive months or quarters, 40 consecutive quarters of a positive economic growth, which is unprecedented for the state of Tennessee. What I will say is when I came in with Governor Bill Haslam, um, that budget that we came in on the year before was a mess the year before he got there. Um, they were bartering from the rainy day fund to, to pay expenses. Uh, they were taking money out of the transportation fund, cut the county clerk's office funds. They mm-hmm. were counting everybody's funds to take money. Uh, to put in the general fund because they weren't willing to make those hard cuts. Now, right. when Governor Haslam came in, he started making the hard cuts. I mean, he 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 cut state government, he cut the sure. size of state government, he cut spending, he cut spending almost every year he was there to try to get us back in and in, to where we can continue to grow, and that's what he did. The other thing is, is we had a huge infrastructure problem in the state of Tennessee: higher education, state buildings, had state parks, never had money put in to to take care of them. So we had a lot of things called deferred maintenance that we had to take care of. 
So I, I, Gunner Haslam doesn't get enough credit for the work that he did in that budget process and really to put us in a point in our state to where the house is in order and we're very secure financially and economically um, and we're going to continue to hopefully be that way with our budget. And so, but what he did and what that general assembly did and the constitutional officers who are Republican, what they did to get us to this point is phenomenal. And that has really allowed us to really be able to focus on policy and where we want to go on policy and not have to worry so much about having good budgets put forth. So can we talk about the rainy day fund? How much is in there? Because I know um, I'll get calls from county mayors and say they've they contacted a legislator about using the rainy day fund for maybe a project in their county. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how that works right quick? Yeah, so the rainy day fund is like the savings account. And uh, when Governor Haslam came in, it was bled down to less than $200 million. And the, and the bond ratings don't like that. Right. They, they want you to be able to survive anything that can happen, whether it's some kind of economic collapse, whether it's a terrorist attack or a federal government or something. They need you. They want you to be prepared for it. Um, and, and so we built that back up to about $1.2 billion, um, which counts as spending. So when people say that we spend a lot, you also have to take into account that we put over a billion dollars in the rainy day fund. The difference is, is if you look back at 2010, $1.2 billion would have lasted for about 44 days of running state government. Today, it's only 24 days. So, wow. so you have to be, so even though it sounds like a lot of money, it, it doesn't keep us whole as long as it used to. So we have to be very cautious if we're, People are wanting to take money out of the rainy day fund to go spend on something. Sure. Because then also the, when you go back to New York for the bond ratings, to, for the AAA, which is really important to the local governments as well, um, then we could get ding and, and then we'd lose our status in the, in the best rate that we can really help local governments. If they need to borrow money, do it at a very effective rate. Great. That's that's wonderful. Uh, we come back to the last segment. We'll talk a little bit more about the – well, probably focus a lot on this session, what you foresee coming uh, through the next couple months in session and what the state hopes to achieve. You're listening to News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. This is Ben Rogers and Trending, and my guest has been Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Trending on News Talk 94.1 FM. This is Ben Rogers. I have been delighted to visit with Cameron Sexton. He is the elected Speaker of the House for the Tennessee House of Representatives in the General Assembly. We've been talking about uh, some of your history and, of course, how you got to Speaker and, and the journey there and your time as a legislator. I want to talk more about maybe this session we're in and, and what you see coming, but uh, the budget's always probably the biggest thing. I mean, I, I believe the Constitution says you have to pass a balanced budget. You yes, know, so yeah. that's always number one probably for the legislators. Now that you're Speaker, how involved are you with that budget, and who who are you communicating with on the on the budget? Well, so the governor just finished up the budget. I think he sent it to print last week, and we've had meetings with uh, Stuart McWhorter's Commissioner of Finance Administration, um, a little bit with the administration, you know, as we go through the budget process, the, the governor at some point after say the state will hand us the budget to the general assembly and the house and Senate will then have it. And then we'll work together as a, as two bodies independently to, to, to propose and look at the budget. Uh, the finance chairs on both sides are really involved. Uh, your leadership, the caucus chairman and the majority leader are heavily involved in the budget process as, as well as in the house with our subcommittee chairman and a, and a few members. So, it's a very long process, and this year we moved our budget hearings to the fall to open up more time in the, in the session to where we can uh, do a better job of, of – instead of getting a 40,000-foot view of the budget, we can get down to about ground level. So trying to dedicate more time and other time instead of writing session, putting extra time in. Right. Uh, I, I teach classes on budgeting. I don't teach classes on state budgeting, but I imagine the principles are similar at the state and county level, and we're always talking about transparency. 
You are, and, 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 you know, the budget, there is a lot of transparency, but also we've never gotten to a point to where we know where all the money is in every department and what's going on. Sometimes, you know, like TANF is an example. Um, it's The money's in Washington. It's not really in the state, and we have to uh, ask them to send it down. It's like $700 million, and just one of those things where not a lot of people knew about it. And sure. so it kind of caught everybody off guard. Who are the chairs of the Finance Administration, the House, and the Senate? Uh, so Commissioner Stuart McWhorter is F&A. And in the House, you have Susan Lynn, who's our finance chair. Gary Hicks is subcommittee chair. And Matthew Hill is the appropriations chair. Okay. Okay. So the, for everybody listening, those are the people that are working on your budget day in and day out. And of course, the speaker is as well. Uh, this session, what do you foresee coming uh, in this session, a couple weeks in, uh, just starting. Uh, and as you said, that you, you spend time and others spend time outside of session, filing bills since it's the second half of the session. And um, what do you foresee coming? What are some of the hot topics or important things? Everybody wants to know are the taxes going up. I'm not going to ask that. I know sales tax is a is a driver for this for this state. And uh, just spoke to my mayor yesterday in Putnam County about the uh, our sales tax. Thankfully, it's it's up. Mm-hmm. You know, in Putnam County, it's not everywhere. I know and counties across the state i wish it was putnam county the sales tax is up more and we thought this last budget session back in july we passed a budget we were just praying um that would be the same as last year well fortunately it's up so are you seeing that trend the sales tax being up across the state we are with the state it is i can't speak for every local community what i will say is i'm a big proponent of of, that's called a consumption tax or tax or user uh, tax it's basically your only tax if if you buy something or or want to buy something and it's not tax on income which is which is good which is the best form of taxation i believe in my mind sure you know the state we haven't really ever since i've been there we haven't increased any taxes we've we've decreased taxes by the tune of about 700 800 million dollars in the last nine years which is more than any in our history right you know as we move forward um i don't ever see any tax increases we our budget's very very well we're using one-time money um wisely and you know we're, we'll we'll keep looking um and how to make the government more efficient and and make it more like a business you can't make it exactly like a business but you can try to bring in some of those practices sure so what do you see as the hot topics come in this session yeah so those would be um i think criminal justice reform we're waiting to see what the governor will bring in i, I like to bring in truth and sentencing in that it's, it's more for victims rights um you know when there's nothing worse for a family of someone or for the victim when someone gets a five-year sentence and you see them on the street in nine months. Right. Um, that means your justice system's not working. It also means there's probably not a, uh, uh, a way to um, keep those individuals um, from committing more crimes. So there's no deterrent there. So I like to get into where five means five, If, if like the federal system. You know, if you commit a crime and, and – you need to serve all the time. I mean, there's no, there's no early release, right. and and hopefully that would be a determinant to those individuals. I think also healthcare reform. Um, we're looking at, as we mentioned before on CON and transparency, um, accessibility and affordability. I think the TANF issue is very big. Um, you know, how do we help single moms get back into the workforce? The current system de incentivizes work. We need a system that incentivizes work. It doesn't make sense for them to lose all their benefits when they make one dollar more than what they're allowed. There needs to be some type of um, as your income goes up, uh, your benefits go down until you can get to a point where you can survive and be self-sufficient. That should be the goal. I mean, it's, it, it should be the goal of the system. And then I think there's some other things out there. You know, the refugee resettlement's one of them that there would be some different types of legislation on that as well. So uh, let's can we talk about that a second? The refugee resettlement. I have friends that that think as a commissioner in Putnam County, I can stop it. Uh, right now, that's not the case. I know counties are actually passing resolutions uh, to encourage the the General Assembly 
to to not allow refugee settlement. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the lieutenant governor and I both came out um, and said that we would have gone a different direction than the governor's executive order. We, we I think our statement was we'd like to hit the pause button. Um, you know, if you look around the world to what's ha- happening with the refugees as they move into other countries and they accept them, Paris is one of them. Um, good things haven't happened. Um, now, there are people who really are needing to seek exile or refugee status. But you also have to understand that there's individuals out there who want to do us harm, and they're going to use illegal means or try to to do bad things to us and, and to get into America. Um, you know, President Trump, um, his goal is to protect America. Our job here in the state of Tennessee is to protect Tennesseans, mm-hmm. first and foremost, and work with law enforcement. So we would hit the pause button. There's, you know, the other thing is, is when they come in, they all get granted social security numbers, which makes it extremely difficult to really understand how many refugees you have, how much money it's costing. Um, and at the end of the day, we feel like we have a duty, a fiscal responsibility to the to the Tennesseans, and then also um, a responsibility to keep us safe um, from harm. And so we take those two responsibilities very seriously. Thank you for your thoughts on that. I know I've had people ask me and a couple of friends, I, I told them that I was actually going to have you on. They're like, well, you don't care asking. We want to know his thoughts. So if you're listening, which you better be, uh, friends, uh, there's his thoughts. I want to bring up one more thing. We've got about three and a half minutes left, about three minutes. Um, that And it's already happened. It's done with. But your thoughts on the on the motor vehicle tax or otherwise people know as the gas tax. Um, to my knowledge and, and me helping these rural counties, I have 13. It's really helped them improve the infrastructure of our counties. And I, I, to me, it's improving the state infrastructure as well. What are your, what are your thoughts on the gas tax? Well, tanks? it has. You know, I've, I've as I've gone across the state, I've met with um, all kinds of elected officials and road builders and other people. Um, the cost, unfortunately, have, has increased faster than the revenue yeah. on the gas tax. So, um, so that hasn't been beneficial. It has allowed for more things to happen. Um, also, at the same time, over the last couple of budgets, we've infused a lot of money back to the locals, which has been very good. So, for example, this year, I think we're having a $600 million budget surplus. We're hoping to return some of that money back to the local road departments to allow them to continue. There's still a lot of bridges to do. I was in a meeting the other day with with the road superintendents in our area. There's a lot of bridges that need to be fixed mm-hmm. and limited money. So sure. so there still are some very viable needs that need to happen on the on the area that we live in so the pool of money for state aid bridges and roads is hopefully still going to be there to access for at least another year for these highway officials yeah well yeah hopefully and hopefully we can infuse some extra money into them to help them get there you know i mean i, I it seems like almost every county in in our area has about two to three bridges that need to have some kind of work on it that currently is not in process and for those that don't know what a state aid road is it's a county road that joins two state roads basically right. is the the simplest way to put it and the highway superintendents are allowed to get money from the state 98 percent funding from the state a two percent match from the highway department it's a really good deal for for our counties uh speaker I, i've enjoyed it and uh, i want a couple random questions right quick before i let you yeah. go because this is part of one of the another fun thing we do um you've been across the state of tennessee uh, what are a couple of uh, favorite places other than your home, other than Crossville, that you visited in Tennessee? Oh, wow. So, um, you know, there was a uh, a little market in Halls, Tennessee we went to that had some great fried apple pies. Okay. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm working on is uh, when we travel across the state, trying to find that little place in that community that everybody likes to eat at. Right. Whether it's a little diner, a sure. little pizza place, whether it's a barbecue place. 
and really trying to understand that. In Greenville, uh, recently they closed their hamburger place, but there was a great hamburger place that was part of the fabric of that community. Right. And so when I travel, I try to find those little spots as we go, and, and it's been very fun. You like to travel outside of Tennessee? When we have time. Yeah, <laughs> when we have time. <laughs> I, I, thank you so much for being here. I've enjoyed it. Please come back after session if you can have time, just so we can recap, if you don't care, uh, to recap the session and, and what maybe you're looking forward to the next year because what you do, I thank you for your service to to not only your district but the state. You're serving the whole state. That's what people don't understand. Representatives are assigned to a district, but they represent the whole state. Same with senators. I thank you for your service. Uh, come back and be with me uh, maybe in the spring. Well, thank you very much. And the one thing I failed to mention, and I'll just throw it out sure. at the end, is uh, for a state, we need to focus on child literacy rates. Mm-hmm. Our reading proficiency level at the fourth grade is abysmal, and K through three are the building blocks for their academic journey and the foundation. And so I throw that out. We're hoping to work on that this year, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. There's a lot of great things in our state that we're doing. Tennessee is a great state. Mm-hmm. Um, when we travel around, everybody asks how how we're doing a budget so well when everybody right. else is is having deficits. So sure. it's a great pl- place to live, work, and, uh, and play, and, and I'm very fortunate to be here. Thank Good. You. Thank you. You've been listening to News Talk on 94.1 uh, FM. This has been Trending. This has been Rogers, and my guest has been Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton. We'll be back next week with another episode.